Live from beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featured commentary by progressive professor Mark Casello, James Martyr, a Republican candidate for Congress from Illinois. A little bit later on, we'll hear from Charles Lipson from the University of Chicago. He's an emeritus now. And Eric Cohn, libertarian and former talk show host. And uh, they will be joining us. We come to you from our beautiful new studios at AM560 uh, WIND in Chicago, Illinois. And it's uh, nice to have you with us. And Frankie Rodriguez is uh, back at the uh, he's back at the dials. He's been a long vacation. He's all rested up. He had a couple of weeks in Disneyland. He's taken out his third mortgage on the house so he can pay for the vacation. And he's filled with turkey and everything else. So we're all together again. Nice to have you all with us. Again, as usual, since we only meet once a week, there's usually a lot to talk about. And there is tonight. And uh, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin by talking about uh, you know the, the new sort of fresh thing that's happening in the world. And that is there is another uh, variant of, uh, of COVID. It's uh, Omicron. And it comes from South Africa. And uh, the president of South Africa, the president of the United States, effective tomorrow, is going to cut off all travel from that region. South Africa and other several other African nations is going to cut off travel from that, organi- that part of the world, with the exception of Americans. And uh, Britain have, has already cut off travel. Israel has already cut off travel. And the president of uh, uh, South Africa, he's all set because he thinks the Western world is overreacted because there's just been very little uh, evidence thus far that uh, this new variant may be a serious variant. So I, I want to begin just on the on the issue of credibility, and I'm going to start with you, Jim, because uh, as a challenger to an incumbent Democrat, uh, there's a lot of things about government that you probably don't like, so uh, I'll give this first crack at you. How worried do you personally get? I mean, personally get, not just professionally get. How worried do you get when you when you hear stories about uh, a new variants coming along and uh, research? I mean, how long do you how how long does it go before you get worried about it and what the government is doing to try to rectify it? Yeah. So, so look, I don't personally get worried about it, um, and I have been through it. So firsthand experience, okay. my family, my wife, some of my ki- some of my adult kids, uh, one last year, uh, some of us maybe more recently. And, and I'll tell you this, what I get worried about is the political class deciding what our medicine is. Because, you know, we have, we have medicines that treat these variants while, you're, while, you're, while it's active within you, or what, the original mm-hmm. virus, while it's active within you. And the fact that we've silenced um, doctors, real doctors in America, and we're, we're saying that this is, this is not valid medicine, and it is. And I can tell you firsthand experience, ivermectin works because as soon as I started taking it, I got better within a couple days. Mm-hmm. And five days of taking it with um, a Z-Pack along with it to make sure we're not getting infections while I'm being infected. My wife had a little bit uh, harsher around of it. And she really needed that medicine, and these therapeutics worked, okay? So you think, to, to cut to the chase, you think that the government is listening to doctors 
but not a very wide variety of doctors. Exactly. And they focus the attention on, they're talking to doctors that are telling them what they want to hear. Now let's go over to Mark Casella. Mark, you're a, you're a college professor. You're a progressive. Uh, you're a young man. Uh, you're concerned about your health. How concerned do you get when one of these news stories comes along? Sure. Um, like James, I, I don't get too personally excited about it. Um, variants are going to come along. This virus has uh, can live in animal hosts. Uh, there's a large res- reservoir. Have you had it? Um, I have not had it. Okay. Uh, I am vac- Are you vaccinated? I am vaccinated uh, okay. with the two two shot Pfizer. Okay. But, but uh, now there's talk that to be fully vaccinated, they're they're suggesting a third sh- booster shot. Do you have the booster yet? I do not have okay, the booster but, okay. yet. But uh, I I, um, I waited to get the vaccine until closer to the beginning of the school year mm-hmm. because I wanted to have more more protection as the I went back to teaching face to face. So so I'm I'm not. I'm not too concerned. Uh, it looks like we're managing uh, to live with the virus now. The economy's more opened up. Uh, people are getting together. Air travels back to almost pre-pandemic levels. So I think we found found a way to start living with the virus. Um, just here in Illinois, for example, um, at this time last year, we, we had a seven-day moving average of 125 deaths per day. Mm-hmm. Today, that's 25. So, um, you know, we're definitely in a better place than we were at this point last year. Do you both feel that the news media is doing a good job in separating real facts from speculation? Jim? Yeah, no, absolutely not. I mean, you know, it's like one, it's like we've politicized medicine. I mean, to me, this is frightening, right? We, We have politicized it to the fact where there isn't an open and honest discussion about alternative treatments to this. And literally, and I'm going to call. I want to just stop for just a second. Do you agree with that that particular point? So, uh, so James had brought up ivermectin, yeah. for example, and ivermectin is a widely used antiviral, antiparasitic that's been uh-huh. used globally for decades. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, I do agree with James that the way it was portrayed in the media as horse medicine, uh, mocked. I, I think you know, show me the scientific studies that show its mm-hmm. efficacy. Um, let's have a conversation about it, but let's not mock people for, for looking right. for uh, okay. an existing therapeutic. Jim, I agree with point. what he just said, too, about, you know, let's get the studies out there. Let's talk about it. Let the, medis- let, the, let the medical professionals practice their trade and talk and tell us, and let's just report what they're doing. Would and the news saying. media, uh, does the news media have the basic scientific intelligence to separate fact from fiction when they're talking to doctors. They could have three or four doctors in front of them. One of them may be telling them, you know, the absolute truth. The other could be just, they just look good on television. They've got a good credential. And so how does a untrained journalist uh, ask them intelligent questions that really help the audience? Well, to, to me, it's it's use their journalistic skills to report as opposed to decide what message to put out there, right? So, so that's what it's about to me. You know, the other thing that ties into this that is, is to me very scary is the mandate um, in play, not only on the masking issue, but on the vaccin- vaccination issue. And this, this to me is we're going to a place where we should not be. Vaccine passports, mandating it, or you lose your job. You're threatening people's livelihoods. We have- Are we moving too fast? I want to get your reaction, uh, Mark, on this one. Are we moving too fast on children and, and uh, 
sort of rushing shots to the young arms between 5 and 11? So, you know, Bruce, uh, you know, in my generation, we were eradicating smallpox. And I know half of my generation received that vaccine and half didn't. Um, but, but there was, uh, in my knowledge, uh, a longer a longer lead up to delivering those vaccines. There was more study done, uh, more trial done. So it does seem fast. We, we've just went from an emergency use authorization. Um, we haven't had a long term, you know, several years. I'm, he- I'm hearing you as a progressive. I'm hearing you a little concerned uh, in, in some of the things that anti-vaxxers are saying. That's what I'm hearing thus far. You tell me if I'm wrong or not. We do have to break. 1-800-723-8029. From Elk Grove Village, Illinois, this is Bruce Dumont, Beyond the Beltway. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. <laughs> I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, don't tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. (gasps) Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. 
Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Bruce Dumont back, and uh, we'll be back uh, to our guests in just a moment. But again, we've got a couple of emails that have come in. Uh, one person uh, who described himself as Kevin, he said that uh, your story about ivermectin is an anecdotal. It isn't really science. Uh, that's one response. His response is also, uh, it did not originate in South Africa, Omnicon, uh, Omnicom, is that it was discovered there by doctors, and uh, there's some prevalence there, but it's not, it's not a huge issue even there. And basically, he said that at this particular moment, um, we may be ahead of the science and what's going on, which even, uh, uh, you know, Dr. Fauci on TV said today that was a good idea to be ahead of it. Now, back to, to your <laughs> semi, uh, I thought you were going to slam this, but you didn't. Right. Uh, so, that's well, okay. Because, I, well, I think being part of being progressive is having a critical questioning mind. Okay. So, so for instance, um, it, when I watch the news media, the commercial news media, and I'm getting the same story from all three major networks, and 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 that may be the truth, that may be the fact, but but I also want to know there's some basic facts about this virus we should have answers to by now. For instance, why are some people so acutely affected by the virus, needing hospitalization for months and ventil ventilators? What is triggering that biologically, physiologically? Mm -hmm. Where's the studies on that? Where, why aren't we talking about that? There's just there's conversations we're not we're not having. Um, so the similarity here between the conservatives, Jim, yeah. and yeah. the progressives, yeah. uh, you, Mark, yeah. is that you don't at the core you really don't trust government or the full candor of government or, or media. There, there's a or lot of media. Okay, there, there's a lot of you questions. You trust them less. <laughs> that's, right. a, that's a good assessment. <laughs> <laughs> So when and I, I think you know what as a citizen you know we at some level we have to trust our government. I have to trust that this vaccine is doing what they've told me. We have systems in place, and I've got the vaccine, and and I'm healthy, you know, God willing. But I also think, as a society, as a media culture, we should be investigating and exploring a wide range of science. We should see the studies. We should have deep, in-depth discussions, not just testimony from a talking head on, on cable news or commercial news, and we're just supposed to believe them carte blanche, um, which is what it feels like sometimes uh, as an audience member that I'm getting. On a, on a, on a completely different subject, uh, last week on this program, in the early part of the program, we reported that there was an incident in uh, Waukesha, Wisconsin, involving uh, uh, someone in a car. We didn't know too much about it, other than there had been there were early reports that there were deaths and, and significant injuries. We obviously learned a lot after we went off the air about the tragedy in in, in Wisconsin. Uh, at the core of that issue appears to be. Uh, the intention of the person who drove the car, and also why he was out uh, on on bond, a thousand dollar bond, after he had been charged with a, an attempted um, killing of his wife by car, uh, not the wife, his his girlfriend and mother of his child. So I want to go back to you, Jim, uh, at the congressional level, which is what you're going for. At the congressional level, what can be done to discuss? bail and bonds when it becomes an when it's supposed to be an individual state by state county by county decision where do the feds 
have a role there. Right. I mean, and so, so here you have the separation be, between federal, federal and, and state, 10th Amendment. Yeah. You know, obviously, as a conservative, I respect the Constitution, the 10th Amendment. And um, this, this jurisdiction for the, those, um, that bond and what, and what the state laws are, mm-hmm. um, I think, supersedes most of the federal area. Not that the fe- look, look at the federal area. We've gotten involved in things like this all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I certainly would like to see, especially in my state at the state level, that we start thinking a little bit more about what sort of bonds we're setting for violent criminals. I mean, they ones that have a history of violence against other individuals should not be out in the streets where they can do more harm to people if they're already under arrest for, you know, a violent crime. As a progressive, what are the concerns you have about the story out of Wauwatosa that you know of and we all know of right at this moment? Well, uh, as far as the, the bond goes, mm-hmm. um you know, many times those bonds uh, are affecting people very negatively who don't have uh, a criminal, uh, such a violent criminal past. Mm-hmm. So uh, you'll have, you know, if you start imposing bonds, um, who's determining what what constitutes a level of violence? Could we have predicted that this gentleman would act in such a, a horrific way based on his uh, past history of domestic violence? Um, so well, let me let me let me ask you. Where do you put spousal abuse in the list of of, of crimes mm-hmm. or alleged crimes in the case of, of a bail coming up? Mm-hmm. Where do you where do you put that on your list? Is it number one? Is it number ten? Where does it fall? Well, I I, I don't have a list, but it's a it's a serious uh, a serious sure. offense. But um, historically, in the U.S., spousal abuse does not get the attention it should. Jim, what's your ta- what's your take just on that specific? Because I'm sure you could come up with yeah. a list of what are the worst crimes out there, yeah, uh, yeah, I, and and you'd want to have the highest bond for whatever is number one on that list. Well, well so violence would, against another individual, especially yeah. someone someone who you might be physically stronger than okay. and and a close family member of, and where you can you know leverage that that personal connection. You know, spousal abuse is the the big problem. There is a lot of Spouses don't want to report the person right. they love, right? And so when when that has been uncovered, in this case it was, right. and he was arrested on it, I mean, you know, imagine what the spouse was going through when he got out on that bond. What are the, What's she going to be thinking about that, yeah. right? And what's the fears? Uh, it, it, you know, but the violence itself, to me, violence against it, that's very high. We should not be letting violent criminals out once we've, once we've ascertained... They're a problem, and they've already under arrest, and they're going to be in a trial. Would you include a bar fight in that? Well, look, I mean, well, um, I, I just I, I want to know. I mean, I, I think we would all agree yeah. that mm-hmm. there needs to be a stronger bond, and, and really, that is a significant uh, mistake that was made uh, in, yes. in in Wauwatosa, and it is likely to be part yeah. of yeah. Uh, campaigns this coming November, which you are a part of, uh, right. Jim. At least you want to be and, a part. And of this it. is why we have judges and prosecutors yeah. that have discretion, right? So, so a bar fight. Let's say I get in a fight with Mark in a bar, right? I'm not sure that would ever happen, but but let's say we do. I mean, if it's a bar fight, more or less among among equals about some, you know, you're both wh- drunk, whatever, right? You know, uh, got out of hand. That's that's a, clearly a different situation than spousal abuse, especially mm-hmm. if it was abuse that was continuing and 
But back to my question, does is is there a federal I mean you want to run for Congress. Is there a federal law or federal law that should be imposed that that deals with this issue or should it all be handled by uh, 50 states and uh, uh, you know a thousand plus uh, counties? Yeah, I, you, look, I, I think there's you could always make the argument there's there's room for for the federal the feds to get involved in in cases like that. I mean, we do have all kinds of federal crimes, uh, murder and, and whatnot and, and things like that. Um, but but I'm very, you know, that's one of those issues that I don't want to really predict what I would w- want to mm-hmm. do on that. I would want to know what's going on with the issue and with the law and understand it a lot better than I would on off the cuff on that. But Mark, I, I'm more with yeah. the local state. So it seems to me something like the Violence Against Women Act uh, at the federal level um, could bring in uh, supports. Uh, what type of supports when she reported uh, the spousal abuse, the domestic violence, what support do women have, um, you know, funding from the federal level to the states to support women in those situations to get them out of away from the violent offenders those are things that can happen at the federal level um that can be you know the human infrastructure bill could certainly um support some of those types of initiatives how much of a de- of a democratic problem is the debate over this bonding issue between now and next November when people are going to vote on or they're going to really vote on it in primaries in some cases as well. How, how, how much of an albatross is, is the case, the cases in Wisconsin um, going to matter come next election day? I think, I think this case will largely be forgotten in time because we're, it's going to be surpassed. The parade story. The parade okay, story okay. because... Uh, <clears throat> you know, in my course, actually, at the university, we've been studying uh, sites of tragedy and violence. And what ha- often happens is uh, another tragedy will come and displace mm-hmm. that memory. The media will take it up. But the the question, though, the, the, that you're asking, Bruce, politically, mm-hmm. I think, is that the Republicans could tell a strong narrative to say that the Democrats who are winning on this issue saying, you know, we're we're setting bonds too high and we're imprisoning people for poverty. That was resonating. And so we have states repealing the bond and, and uh, mm-hmm. lifting those bonds. And the Democrats, were, the progressives were winning that battle. But an issue like this could be weaponized by the thanks Republicans. To George, thanks to George Soros uh, in well, many cases. And, well, and, and the act, so, grassroots activism of so, many people. Right. Either yeah. real or, or fed by Soros. So this could become an albatross around Democrats' neck. If the Democrats don't get their act together and start um, telling telling tell the me story, what, tell me what it, you're 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 a Democrat, you're a progressive, so, so. right? So how would I tell the story? How would you tell the story? Mother of three, uh, incarcerated for possession of of a, of a substance, needs substance abuse treatment, um, because she's not released on bond, loses her job, loses her children. Um, bail reforms; those bond reforms have, have put kids back in touch with their mom. It's helped people get into treatment, help them get to work, uh, support their families. So uh, the, the reforms that have happened with bond have reduced the prison populations in Illinois, for example. Cook County Jail has far fewer but what people. But what does it do for the eight people that were out at the parade? What does it do for the 35 or 40 plus that are injured? I mean, sure. they're people too. And the right. media is going to want to talk about those people. 
We've got a break. I want to pick up on this when we come back. 1-800-723-8289. Your opportunity to join the discussion. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight on this Thanksgiving Sunday night. Post-Thanksgiving. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive. But our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont, uh, we're back for another segment. Nice to have you with us. And before we go too much further, I want to ask each of our guests to uh, briefly elaborate on uh, the introduction and tell us a little bit about uh, your background and uh, what brings you to be to our program this evening. We'll start with you, Jim. Hi there. I'm uh, Jim Martyr. I'm running for Congress in the 14th Congressional District. That's against uh, Democrat Lauren Underwood. 
Um, I'm in this race really to protect life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness because we feel that it's under attack. I mean, you see it every day. Um, I'm about growing the economy, keeping us safe, protecting our culture, and defending our Constitution. And you can follow me at uh, Martyr for Congress, the number four congress.us, and you can follow me for Martyr for Congress, Twitter and Facebook book as well. Okay. And by the way, we should mention that uh, between now and uh, uh, next November, and certainly in the primaries that are in the spring, uh, we are going to invite a variety of people, Republicans and Democrats, liberals and conservatives, uh, who are running for Congress against an incumbent. It's not all going to be Illinois people. There'll be people from all over the country because this program is heard in, in a variety of states. And we're going to be reaching out to, uh, again, only challenges. We only want to hear from the challenges because one thing I will say is incumbents, uh, they always like to do the show when they're running for re-election. But they never want to do the show once they've just been re-elected. So I have taken it upon myself after doing this program for 40 years my comment is, you know what, if you're too busy to do the program uh, midterm when you're not seeking votes, then you don't care to be on the air and to be interrogated by the public. And so, you know what, I'll let you pay for your time. You can buy spots. But if there's someone who's out there who's a challenger who people may not know, and again, I don't care what your politics are. I think just philosophically, I think it's wrong. And uh, so if there's a time that we can give them a little exposure during the, the primary season or in the uh, leading up to the general election, uh, we're going to give it to you on Sunday nights here on Beyond the Beltway. Go ahead. All right. Our uh, other <coughs> esteemed guest who's been with this program for a long time. Yeah, I, I was just saying to James that uh, I think this is my 10th year on the show. Oh, uh, congratulations. Roughly, so. You know, you have not changed at all. <laughs> you had a remarkable, youthful <laughs> face 10 years ago, and you still have it. Oh, good. I, <laughs> I hide it well. So uh, my name is Mark Casello. I'm director of English and Media Communications at Calumet College of St. Joseph in Whiting, Indiana. And I'm founder of the Pullman National Monument Preservation Society, uh, PNMS pnmps.org, uh, and we work to support the Pullman National Monument on Chicago's far south side, an important site of industrial and labor history where, where uh, America's story comes together, the story of black labor, white labor, uh, industrialization, uh, women uh, labor organizing, all happening uh, in the neighborhood where I live in yeah. Pullman. And if you live in Chicago or you're visiting Chicago, I would strongly suggest uh, plan, a, plan a good half day out there, maybe a little bit longer even, yeah. because I've not been to the new visitor center, which recently opened, uh, but I, I have been out there to walk through the, the national park, and uh, uh, it was an ideal community. It was an ideal community built many, many years ago uh, by George Pullman, who was one of the leader, uh, one of the major uh, uh, railroad barons of the time, right. and he was building a utopia. And uh, it, it went south, and you can find out why it went south. But again, the buildings are still there. I mean, it, it's, a, it's an architectural tour of a planned community. It really is one of the most interesting things to see in Chicago. It's, it's not on the, the tourist map yet, but right. I think Mark is going to try to put it on there. It really, it's a, it's a great story, and uh, uh, it's a good education for you and your family about uh, uh, what, uh, what caused the sort of the, the split between uh, labor and uh, and management in the United States because it goes right back to uh, Pullman, Illinois. Absolutely. Uh, let's go to Dave, who's listening to us in Spokane, Washington. Go ahead, Dave. 
Hey, I always appreciate the time and love the show. Well, uh, thank three, you. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully three quick uh, points. One for Jim. Uh, props to him for running for Congress. I've actually considered running against Patty Murray myself here in Washington State. Good. In a deep blue state, it's uh, a lot of issues surrounding the decision to try and do that. So congrats to him. Dave, let me tell you uh, something. If you run against Patty Murray and you're officially on the ballot, you call me back. You remind me that you've got an hour on Beyond the Beltway. Because I don't think Patty Murray is going to do the show. I will do that. I appreciate it. Uh, well, secondly, <laughs> since you guys hit a little bit on the uh, the uh, parade uh, incident, yeah. uh, that frustrates me just from the perspective of the double standard hypocrisy of what we have as a television version of social media, uh, because you, you hear nothing about uh, how it would be if the races were reversed, because you don't hear constantly a black man ran into a, a parade and he had you know, anti-Trump things on his social media, uh, which if it was the reverse, you know the portrayal would be completely different. That's yes. what drives me the most crazy about yeah. the way that these things are, whether it's Rittenhouse or whatever, just the double standard. So anyway, that was my quick thing on that. Um, let's, on get, COVID, let's, let's, get, let's get our guest's response to that. I'm going to start okay. with Mark. So I think this, you know, the, the caller, you know, harkens back to what we were saying earlier about um, trusting our media representation. Um, so so I, I do think he has a point there. And in in the way the media can can twist a story or bend it in its representation of the individuals mm-hmm. um, in a variety of ways. Yeah. And also we should mention, if it, if it was a white driver driving into a crowd of, of blacks, the story would be would, would be dramatically changed as well. Jim, your response to the yeah, yeah, I think he, he's spot on, right? I mean, and like you said, we <laughs> talked about this a little bit earlier, that the media is is not really what we call the mainstream media. They aren't really media anymore they're advocates for a cause and whether their cause is right wrong or indifferent they are no longer reporting the news and i want to see the news reported fairly i don't care what the race of the gentleman who did that uh, or the man who did that i don't even want to use the word gentleman with this guy um what he did was absolutely wrong it you know it's destroyed many lives and affected many many more and we need to protect our people, our citizens from, right. you know, violent criminals. And that's that's what this story should have been about. It shouldn't have been about anything else. Yeah. And, and holding uh, those elected officials yeah. uh, accountable right. as well. Uh, point exactly. number two, Dave. Yeah, the, this is my last uh, one was on COVID. You guys are hit on COVID, and I, I completely agree that this thing has been totally politicized and run out of bounds. Uh, we have people talking about the vaccines as if they're the holy grail and that if you have you have actually an, a group of people who are working for covid zero they, they act like as if there's any cases that start spiking that that's a requirement for shutting down things they don't focus on the true issue of death rate they focus on cases how many more cases do we have right. and cases do not literally directly relate to death that's that's a, a fallacy the only way that happens is by age group or comorbidity it's strictly age group comorbidity uh, ran i do not have a vaccination myself i'm young enough i and i've looked at the numbers i realize i'm safe my wife a 30-year registered nurse she does not have the vaccination she took the risk of possibly losing her job here in washington state but she held firm and as expected as i basically was thinking would happen 
they, the hospital accepted every single exemption that was offered, so otherwise they would have lost approximately 15% of their medical mm-hmm. staff at that hospital. Uh, they did, of course, gain some new vaccinations because of the fear factor of Inslee and the president with their mandate requirements and OSHA's, you know, falling back from that now. But it did work to at least get a few more people vaccinated. But we look at the science. We look at the data. These nurses are not anti-vaccine. They are pro-vaccine on a risk analysis basis. And these young kids you were talking about, there's no reason for children to be getting a vaccine that they're, they have more potential for death from a car accident. Literally, in 2019, 1,053 kids from 0 to 14 died in traffic fatalities. The entire duration of COVID in 0 to 14-year-old kids, we've had less than 600. So you're basically twice as likely, literally, mathematically, to die from a traffic accident. Yet we have people giving them mRNA technology, new technology, and it's not safe and effective. It's safe when uh, enough time has gone by to prove that anything is safe medically, not just because millions of people have had it. It takes time to be safe. I agree it's effective at reducing the effect or, you know, how severe your reaction is, but you can't say it's safe until a duration of time has expired, which has not yet. So that was my final point, Bruce. So are you, are you, so you, are you oh. fearful of it? Are you fearful? I'm not that fearful you... of it at all. Okay. But you're not. No, you're, I'm not fearful. I, I, I'm just going by the math. I mean, I've, I'm a pretty background in math in college, and and so I was looking at this thing in in March and April of 2020. I sent letters to every person in my state, from the governor down to my city council, explaining to them that they were overreacting. There was no need for a massive, you know, requirement for everyone to stay home. They should only be telling people who are in at-risk groups to stay home, and the rest of the people could go about their business. Mm-hmm. That would flatten the curve and minimize the hospitalizations by getting the at-risk people to stay at home. Not everybody. You wouldn't have to shut down the entire economy. I told this to everybody in my state, got practically no responses, uh, because I have a history of risk management when I was in the military. I was the operational risk management um, officer in my flight squadron, and I did safety management. I went to the Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey. I have all kinds of risk management in my background, and I, I sent a, a very complete letter. Nobody cared about it, um, and that's what should have been done from the beginning. Dave, what do you do professionally, if I may ask? Uh, right now, I am just unemployed. I'm retired out of the military. I was a Marine Corps pilot, uh, and like I said, my secondary duty was um, I was the director of safety and standardization for my squadron, and then eventually Did for the MAG. Did you say you're, reti- you're retired out of the military? How old are you? I'm 52 now, this month. I, I, I would so. guess I would have guessed about 38. Mm-hmm. You have a yeah, very, I have a very, you I have have a very, very young sounding voice. You have a voice. Uh, you know what I'm going to do? <laughs> uh, it's a long time before you'd enter your... Uh, uh, your race against Patty Murray. But let me ask yeah. you this. Would you like to be a guest some night on Beyond the Beltway from your home? Uh, certainly. I'd, I'd be more than willing to do that, Bruce. I think that'd be fun. All right. I'm going to put you on with our producer, Frankie Rodriguez. Frankie, we're going to take Dave from Spokane because I think uh, a lot of people uh, recognize uh, your voice because you do call the show frequently and usually ask a lot of good questions. So uh, sometime in the next month or so, uh, people will tune in and he will be one of our plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. And uh, he will be an official guest. He'll move from caller to guest. Thanks very much. Have a nice holiday, Dave. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks Thanks for your service. Thanks. What if the music stopped? If the familiar voices were silenced? If there were no breaking news updates? What if your companion and connection to your community came with a monthly fee? 
Don't worry, we're free local radio with you wherever you go. Celebrating 100 years and looking forward to the next 100. We are broadcasters. Text radio to 52886 and let Congress know you depend on your local TV and radio stations. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. Today, millions of people all across America are building a life in recovery from addiction and mental illness, helping themselves and helping each other with friends, family and community lending their strength and support. Join the voices for recovery. Together, we are stronger. For 24 hour free and confidential information and treatment referral for mental and substance use disorders for you or someone you know, call 1-800-662-HELP. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back. Uh, question to you, uh, Mark. Are you happy with President Biden so far? Whew, that's a long, long conversation <laughs> you're opening up there. Well, I, I think on the one hand, you know, there's a lot of lot of things that Democrats could Democrats could be proud of. You know, I think the infrastructure bill is a huge win. I, I think they've bungled the messaging on it. But um, I I'm really disappointed with the pull out of Afghanistan, how that was handled. Um, uh, optically, he's at the, the Carlisle group for Thanksgiving, you know, the day before Thanksgiving. You know, as a progressive, that kind of turns my turns my stomach. Uh, you know, that, that Bernie Sanders would not have been at the Carlisle Group for Thanksgiving. You know, I'd want to see him in a soup kitchen or something or out oh. with the regular people. So so I think, you know, there, there's a lot to be happy about if you're a Democrat. Uh, you know, and the Build Back Better bill looks like it's going to be coming through. We'll see how it gets through the Senate. 
Um, but but the infrastructure bill was a huge achievement, and I think what is the I want to I want to start I want to talk with the human infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Of all the things that are in that bill, much yeah. of which the American people don't even know about. Yeah. What is the if if you had to pick one piece of that legislation that under your rule absolutely would not get kicked out? What would it be? <laughs> the most important thing. Well, the things I think are most important have already been chucked, really. <laughs> They're already gone. Okay. Well, I, <laughs> They're already cut. Give, so, a, give us an example. Um, any type of student loan relief for people okay. uh, or the two years of community college, free. I think okay. if you're talking about shifting generational opportunity, those were, were two big big areas where you could provide immediate relief to the middle class and, and working class uh, people. In we'll go US. over Jim. Jim, uh, of those things that are remaining in the in the infrastructure, not the infrastructure, but the social infrastructure bill, what would be the one thing you would fight the hardest to make sure was not included in any legislation if you were in D.C. The build back broke bill or the bill that was <laughs> oh, the general. other bill that was go. passed. A point, either, a point either with one. It, either, either one, either one. So so, so the build back either broke, you could rebuild double, one or, or you right, know. right doubles the size of the IRS. Okay, I mean we don't need more IRS officers. I'd like to cut cut the size and scope of the IRS and cut the taxes right and cut the tax rate. And we need to fix this. The spending is outrageous. Look, I studied economics at Purdue University and you don't borrow from our children and our grandchildren's future to fund social agenda today. And that's exactly what both of these bills do. If their infrastructure bill actually had infrastructure in it, uh, maybe, maybe there would be some saving grace in it. But most of it is payback to Democrat uh, party operatives and officials and and connected folks, um, you know it's. So you don't think it's and, about building highways and repairing bridges? Oh no! Oh no! Come on! Look, none of it. None of it. I would. I would say if it had ten to fifteen percent of that, that it would be about it. The rest of it is something else entirely. And Mark, th- do you this agree is with my that? mission. In, in, I <laughs> disagree. We're talking about the the hard infrastructure bill, yeah. the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs yeah. Act. No, I was going through the thousand-page document today, as I love to do, and um, there's, you know, first of all, I mean, it's sad for the American people because if you try to make sense of it, uh, it's very difficult read, but there is certainly a tremendous, almost, you know, an incredible amount of money flowing to the states for real infrastructure. Uh, We were just talking about the National Park Service, for example. the about 1.7 billion dollars will be coming in addition to the National Park Service for deferred maintenance over the next 10 years uh, to help our national parks. So you could That's, get a piece of that. Your the, a piece project. of that could be helping the South Side okay. of Chicago, okay. um, but also uh, just bridges, roads, tremendous billions, like hundreds of billions of dollars going to the the Highway Administration um, to to build roads, bridge repair. It's all in there. Um, so I don't I don't know how if the, that was the only thing you had to say to voters come next November that this is not this is they wouldn't say this is all we got done. Mm-hmm. This is what we got done. Yeah. And we didn't get anything on the infrastructure, the human infrastructure. We went with a zip. Yeah. Joe Manchin ruled the roost. We didn't get anything. <laughs> yeah. Should people who are democratically inclined, should they vote for that? Should they pet progressives on the head, give them a pat on the back, even moderates, and say, you know what, this is what the Democrats could do, and by golly, they delivered something, even though it was nowhere near what we wanted. Do they get a yes vote for re-election? 
it'll be a hard sell, I think, for the Democratic base or the progressive base. Okay. But I think... So they're going to let Congress become Republican and not vote for the Democratic candidate? I don't think I don't think so. I, I don't think so. I think there'll be a But a you're worried process. that there's a significant number of progressives that like to get even if if right. <laughs> well that's I, the nature that's the nature of the extremes in both parties. They would rather rule their little caucus than win. Well I think they're advancing important issues that, that haven't gotten enough uh, airtime. So I, I think the, the push for paid family medical leave, for example, getting that back into the human infrastructure, the social infrastructure bill, very important. If you, when you go to the polls again, if you make it through the primary, would you be satisfied? You're not going to be satisfied because you'd love to be able to say, I wouldn't want any of this infrastructure. Would you be happy with what they've attained right now if they didn't get one more dime for anything else of the look, human structure look we need to we need to do that right now we need to cut off the federal government this we're taking my children and grandchildren's and probably great-grandchildren's at this point we're spending money we don't have and if it was about true infrastructure that's great but it's not it's about social infrastructure or social engineering um, which doesn't work. How by does the building way, right? highways uh, figure into that? Well, it, look, this bill is not paying, uh, you know, for building highways 100 percent. I mean, there's there's going to be some of that in there, but that is not what that bill was about. It's not what the Build Back Broke bill is about. It's about spending money we don't have on things we don't need, and we're not talking about infrastructure. And here. you think that's a message that Republicans, such as yourself, that's a message that you can effectively deliver. And, and get people who voted for Democrats in the past to say, you know what, they had their chance, they didn't give me what we wanted, right. or they gave me too much, and I don't want to pay for it, and you know what, I'm going to switch and vote Republican. You think that's, that's well? I think there's multiple there. things going on here: the safety issue, the 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 um, literally defunding the police movement, the whole thing we talked about earlier with uh, letting criminals out. That how real? Are, how is that? Yeah. How, how real is that? In your Give me a, you know what, I can't ask that question because there's not enough time for you to give me a, a solid yeah, answer to that. Jim Marty, thank you very much. You're running in a Republican primary. You're running against Lauren Underwood. She is the incumbent Democrat from the 14th District of Illinois. Again, we will have other challengers on this program between now and next November. Thank I'm Bruce you. Dumont. Thank another you. full hour coming up. Don't go away. I'm beyond the Beltway. It's a bully. But we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? 
It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, don't tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Bruce Dumont back. Hour number two of Beyond the Beltway continues from the AM560 studios. WIND in Elk Grove Village, Illinois. Talking to our coast-to-coast and border-to-border affiliate stations. Nice to have you with us this evening. Uh, in hour number one, we've talked with uh, Jim Martyr, who's a candidate for a Republic, or Republican candidate uh, for Congress from Illinois, and also uh, Mark Casello, who has been a frequent guest on this program, a progressive professor uh, from uh, Indiana. Indiana, right? Uh, yeah, that's where the college is. Where the yeah. college is, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. But you now live in Illinois. Correct. I live. Okay. Yep. But we are now joined uh, via Zoom, the magic of Zoom. We're joined by Charles Lipson, who is a longtime member of uh, this program's uh, roster of guests. He is uh, from the University of Chicago, now emeritus, and he's a frequent guest on uh, radio programs, television programs, writer. This guy does everything. And Eric Zorn, uh, Eric Zorn. <laughs> I'm sorry. Eric Cohen joins us. Eric Zorn Don't was tell on Zorn last week. No, Zorn was on last week. Eric Cohn also joins us. And uh, he also was a, a regular guest on this program. He used to do a talk show here at WIND and uh, uh, has now moved to the great state of Michigan, where he now joins us via Zoom. And uh, first of all, how do you like your new digs in Michigan, uh, Eric? Michigan is uh, delightful. I was actually just in Chicago for Thanksgiving, and it's oh. uh, fantastic to visit. But uh, everything we were looking for in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, is what we found here so far. Good. Uh, let's talk about uh, what we were talking about in hour number one briefly. And I'm going to begin with you, Charles. And, and it is 
The issue of bail uh, in cases around the United States, certainly uh, uh, the, the Christmas parade disaster in uh, Wisconsin, uh, is continuing to get lots of focus because uh, the person in that case was out on a $1,000 bond, having been involved in, in a violent activity uh, against his girlfriend uh, not too many months ago. Um, how is this issue uh, going to play a year from now in November? Is the issue of uh, state's attorneys being too lenient, judges being too lenient, is it going to continue to be an albatross around the neck of any Democrat running for office? I think it will be, Bruce. Um, and I think it's uh, going to be compounded, actually, by uh, the immigration issue. Uh, I don't think people have really connected the two, but I think they're related because I think what people see is that um, the Democrats are not willing to enforce the law. And I think they see the two as connected. Moreover, I think that huge amounts of drugs, fentanyl and the rest, uh, opioids, heroin, are coming across the border and will soon be in a lot of communities. So I think people are going to, to feel this. We've seen local elections that are really uh, should give shivers to Democrats. Uh, Bill de Blasio is being replaced by a former uh, police officer in New York. In um, Columbia, South Carolina, hadn't gotten a lot of attention, but Biden won that state capitol um, uh, a year ago by 40 points. A Republican just narrowly defeated the Democrat for mayor uh, in mm. Columbia, South Carolina. These are important changes, and look at what happened in Virginia. Mm -hmm. Eric, uh, what's your response to uh, the, the combustibility of that issue at the polling places in a year? I think I disagree with Charles slightly uh, in the sense that uh, elections are a quintessential example of what social scientists call an overdetermined phenomenon. There are a lot of things working there. I, I think especially if you're going to look at the two election, major elections we've had so far in Virginia and New Jersey. It, there's been a lot of attempts to explain Virginia as being primarily about education, whether that means uh, critical race theory or, or something else. You can't account for the 10-point shift in Virginia without also being able to account for a 10-point shift in New Jersey. I, so, yes, there's a lot of things going on there. I think the issues of crime and criminal justice are uh, very significant. They're more significant, I think, in urban areas. I think the number one overarching issue, and it's the thing hurting Democrats most right now, is COVID policy, is voters are frustrated with the last couple of, the way that the last 18 months or so have played out. They're looking for somebody to blame for it, and they primarily blame Democrats. And Democrats are hurt largely by the fact that they are the party with majority control, be it only slight in the Senate, but majority control of the federal government. And I think Democrats are going to be the ones that voters are going to take their frustration out on and to the extent that you know schools is is the real relevant issue and i think a huge driving issue for a lot of the swing vote that was the people who went from trump over to biden and made biden president their frustration really is fundamentally with you know look at loudon county their frustration was with the fact that the schools weren't open for a year so mm -hmm. I, I think criminal justice is important it's more important in places like chicago in new york in seattle washington 
But I think COVID policy is going to be the the big reason that the Democrats look to reap a whirlwind. Mark Gosello, I, uh, I, 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 I want to get Mark's point, uh, response. Mark, go ahead. So uh, I, I certainly think that uh, Eric's uh, on track there. The, the Biden administration, as I was saying earlier, um, has done a tremendous thing. They've gotten a vaccine deployed uh, to, to millions of Americans, and I, I think they should be touting that. But I, I think the American public is frustrated. Um, different messaging. You know, we're, we're liberated from the virus in July, and then it's masked back on, and now you need a booster. There's just COVID fatigue, and the Democrats are going to pay a price, and it's going to be difficult to, to overcome that uh, overcome that. Uh, uh, virus Do the people want Donald Trump back, uh, Charles? In your view, in I don't. All, in think all so. the in, in everything that you're reading, is it is it for is it for Trump or is it just for Republican change? First of all, I think that American elections for quite some time, with the poss- with the exception of the two Obama elections, have been elections of rejection. Everything has been about rejecting who's in there now. So, and that's of course a problem if you're the governing party as the Democrats are now. But I think it's also uh, a case where the Republicans have a real problem coming up in 2024 if uh, uh, Trump is still popular within uh, the base of the Republican Party, but he can't carry what carried um, Youngkin to victory in uh, Virginia. Uh, You need a a candidate who doesn't come with all Trump's baggage. And it's also the case that Trump did himself a huge amount of harm after November the 3rd. He still really hasn't acknowledge that Biden is the legitimate president and he mm-hmm. wants people who are going to get his endorsement to claim that the votes were miscounted in a number of states. This is just terrible for our democracy and I think it will be terrible for him in a general election. But the Democrats are so weak and there's going to be a, a complete clash within the party about who's the nominee in 2024 that Trump will be very much tempted to run. When we come back, Eric, I want to get your comment on that, but we're heading into a break, and I want to give you a full opportunity uh, to, to respond to it. And again, uh, I also want to expand that because, as you say, uh, there's already stories about there is that uh, Joe Biden, uh, although he says he's running, there's a lot of people out there that are doing stories about uh, Pete Buttigieg and, and the vice president, uh, Kamala Harris, and how they're getting along and who's ahead in internal, uh, uh, you know, bickering the White House. So we'll talk about that uh, when we come back. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight on Beyond the Beltway. One forty-five over ninety-two. One eighty over one eleven. One hundred and eighty-two over a hundred, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself. I didn't. Now I do. Uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. 
If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back, and uh, we're going to go to a caller. He's been waiting for a long time. Uh, Jorge is listening to us in Brooklyn, New York tonight. Jorge, go ahead. Welcome to Beyond the Beltway. Thank you, Bruce. I wanted to call because I want to stand by president. I think that uh, in the short amount of time that he's been in the office, he's done a remarkable job. He's been able to bring forward an infrastructure bill that is vitally needed by the nation for its progress so it can continue to progress the way that it has. Here in Brooklyn, they have a BQE, and um, it's in badly need of repair, and I'm hoping that uh, that issue is addressing that bill. But um, finally, I just wanted to say, in addition to all that, that um, I hope that all the nation has a happy, happy Hanukkah. And especially to you, Bruce, and all of you out there in Chicago, I hope that um, you have a wonderful uh, Christmas this year, and I hope that you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving as well. Well, thank you very much for that greeting from Brooklyn. I think you're our first caller from Brooklyn, so thank you uh, uh, very, very much. Appreciate it. I want to go back to uh, you, Eric, uh, to start this conversation about what you think is happening with the Democratic Party. I'm surprised that there's talk already about whether or not Biden is going to run again, even though he said he, he was going to. He was 79 years old yesterday. Uh, my question to you is uh, this speculation in the news media. Is it real? Uh, 
Do you think people are out there really plotting the uh, the demise of Joe Biden in a primary in the three years? I think you would I would be shocked if he didn't get some kind of a challenger in a couple of years, yeah. uh, despite what the uh, <clears throat> caller Jorge from Brooklyn just said. Joe Biden is an incredibly weak president, and he was ill-served by the advisors around him who, when he found himself in an unexpected position where because of Donald Trump's actions, they the Republicans lost those two races in Georgia, he was persuaded by people who told him, well, you can be FDR, you can be the next FDR, and you can push through all of this incredible, you know, huge change legislation without recognizing the enormous majorities that FDR had to be able to push that kind of stuff through. Mm -hmm. I think he's gotten distracted from the things that he could have done, and he has gotten off of the message that he communicated through his entire campaign, which was a sense of a return to normalcy and adults being back in charge. And I don't know that you, you could look at the chaos that we've had since he was inaugurated and say, well, it's better chaos or different chaos than what we had for four years of Donald mm -hmm. Trump. But you can't make the argument, I don't think compellingly, that it hasn't been chaotic and it hasn't been what voters are looking for. Hence why at the turning point of the with Afghanistan withdrawal, you've seen his approval rating numbers go down. And I don't know that there's a lot he can do mm -hmm. to save it at this point. Uh, so it, I would be shocked if there weren't some kind of a primary challenge. If Biden himself just doesn't elect not to run for another term, mm -hmm. also something I don't think would be shocking if that's what happened. Yeah, but also let's let's look ahead, Charles. I'll let you start with this one. Uh, if 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 Biden were to decide that he's not going to run, or or these stories uh, about uh, what's going on and who's 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 plotting uh, a, a challenge to the king continue. Uh, and again, they were widespread you know, <coughs> within the last 10 days. Uh, this in itself is going to create a chaotic situation because you're not going to be able to get through a network newscast without probably two or three stories about just the, the turmoil at the White House and the backbiting and the, and the plotting for 2024. And that will be very disruptive to a lot you of Americans. It. Yeah. You nailed it. Uh, he had to announce that he's uh, running again because if he didn't he would become a lame duck immediately mm -hmm. um, that actually happened once it happened when uh, Theodore Roosevelt was elected he had served out uh, the term of William McKinley who had been assassinated right. then he won he <clears throat> could have run for another term but he announced almost immediately that he wouldn't I think that the public has made two decisions about Biden, one of which is potentially reversible, the other I think is not. I think that it's reversible that he's too far to the left. I think he can move back. I think it's not reversible that they've decided he's in over his head and is incompetent. And I think that that's, that's the most dangerous thing for him, that he's not delivering I think that they, they think he promised one thing as president and he's delivering something else. He can change on that, but I don't think he can recover the sense that he's a competent, uh, in control, mature, um, and utterly cognitively present <clears throat> president. I just don't think if, he can do it. If he backtracks, uh, uh, Mark, on uh, the the Trump immigration plan of stay in Mexico first, mm -hmm. which again the Supreme Court uh, or the courts, not the Supreme Court, but the courts have already decided that they've got to do something about that. Mm -hmm. um, yet, 
uh, we're only two or three days into that story when the Trump plan is every every news media operation is reporting it as a retraction uh, mm-hmm. back to the Trump policy. I mean, that doesn't play well in progressive homes. So at, at what point does does he have to measure, <coughs> you know what, this decision may help me in the general public. It may help me with uh, not that a lot of conservatives are going to vote for him, but his, he's draining badly in, in independence. And yet independents may like the idea of remain in Mexico, but progressives, they're not, they, they can't easily uh, turn their back on that. No, absolutely not. And, um, you know, to, to try to make remain in Mexico a humane policy is, is very difficult. It takes, you know, international bilateral cooperation with Mexico, funding, support. The general Americans will not want to see their money flowing to Mexico to support illegal, you know, uh, people who are uh, immigrating uh, or waiting their asylum claims. Um, and then uh, even giving them even if they're giving them covid shots. See, <laughs> yeah, I would I would right. I would support that. I I think I I like the idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we have people that we if 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 we can't control all of our people getting them to give shots, I think we mm-hmm. should give them to uh, those who are trying to sneak in the country. At least we know that they're protected or we think we know they're protected. I, a lot I, of anti-vaxxers won't agree with that, but I just right. said it. Well, I think one, Charles mentioned, or Eric also mentioned, the, the Afghanistan withdrawal, but I think there was another iconic image of the Biden administration that's going to stick, which was uh, the, the crowd of immigrants at the border who made the camp, and then the next day the camp was gone, and those immigrants were released into the country. And I think, you know, for for those independents who 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 you know, who could potentially swing Biden's way for the rule of law, for proper immigration procedure. That was not proper immigration procedure <laughs> when that camp was wiped away and those people released into the U.S. to who knows where, um, with what support. Um, so so it gets back to Charles' point about competence, uh, you know, by, by backtracking on masks, the, the OSHA rule getting repealed. We're, we're going to have a mandate. We're not going to have a mandate. It's that that inconsistency is just killing Biden and and, and in the polls. And I think the Democrats really need to get a handle on this narrative because I think Jorge was right when he called in and said it's a lot of good things happening in the Biden administration. I think uh, legislatively there's some big wins that have happened here, but just there's a lot of the the optics of it look really bad. And and the reality of it is really bad in, in many ways. Eric. Yeah, so I, I think Charles's point on competency is right. You know, I, I'm reminded of uh, the second term of George W. Bush around Hurricane Katrina, and, and without relitigating Hurricane Katrina, um, it, the perception was that Bush's administration and he, he himself were incompetent. And yes, you can add in its second term exhaustion with the president. We always get tired with the president sometime around year six if they've been reelected to a second term. Um, but it's hard to regain that sense of competency once the American people have lost it. So I, I don't know how he does that, although I think there is one thing I think he could do that would help, that would also help deal with that one key issue of the reaction to COVID policy, which is, you know, every every uh, we always look for these opportunities for a sister soldier moment for a president. Mm-hmm. Uh, throwing some of the public health bureaucracy under the bus I think would be a good move for him because there aren't enough Democrats that I think would flee him if he did that, if he rebuked Fauci for being all over the place. 
uh, and you would, I think, appeal to a lot more of those independents. I don't know if that makes an electoral difference enough for Democrats in November of next year or for the trajectory of his presidency, but it would be a good opportunity to speak to the frustrations of a lot of Americans who think that the public health bureaucracy has grabbed power, will not let it go, and they just are tired of the constant changing messages on what we need to do or can't do or shouldn't do or will do or won't do. That's a pretty bold, progressive uh, idea. Uh, do you like it, uh, Charles? Do you like the I idea that, of singling uh, out Fauci and the public? Yes, uh, I kind of, uh, I kind of like it. Yeah. I don't think it'll happen. Yeah. Uh, they are very <laughs> much married to the fact that the Democrats are the party of experts, and when experts look bad, it looks bad for the Democrats. And what are the Republicans doing at this moment? In your view, Charles, are they just waiting for the votes? Uh, the Republicans so that, uh, yeah, in the House uh, and the Senate. Republicans are sitting around watching the Democrats shoot themselves. And that's exactly what the party out of power normally does. Remember, the Republicans had great uh, health policies until they were actually in power and had mm -hmm. to pass them. And then they couldn't pass anything. Right. You uh, the. The party is unified in their opposition uh, to Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi. Um, they're not really, they have cleavages within them, but the cleavages within the Republican Party appeared when they were in power in the same way that the cleavages within the Democratic Party are appearing now that they're in power. Mm-hmm. I agree with Charles, but with one key point that Donald Trump hangs like the sword of Damocles over the entire Republican Party. And I think there was a state senator who observed Yunkin in Virginia um, that he figured out the trick of how to hold Donald Trump's hand under the table in the dark. And I don't know that there are a lot of other Republicans who are going to be able to pull that off. Right. Good. Good point. And insofar as uh, passing on, we haven't talked about the president and passing gas before the queen. We'll tackle that one when we come back. <laughs> well, one in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker. Your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. 
When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Bruce Dumont back. We continue with another half hour of our broadcast, and uh, we're going to let our two Zoom guests take a moment to introduce themselves uh, to the audience. And let's begin with Charles Lipson. Charles? Well, first of all, Bruce, uh, thank you for having me on. Good. And you and I have been together for ages on yes. this program, and I have loved it. I've enjoyed being with you for many years. I've taught at the University of Chicago, uh, mostly specializing in international politics, but in other areas as well. Mm -hmm. My accent comes from Mississippi, the Mississippi Delta, where so many people in Chicago comes. I'm the only one who can't play the blues. Uh, and now I do a lot of writing for Real Clear Politics, Spectator World, uh, Newsweek, uh, occasionally the Wall Street Journal, and so on, uh, sharing opinions in the same way that you and I do here on Beyond the Beltway, Bruce. Right. And also we should mention that uh, uh, we both work with a mutual long uh, a friend, uh, and that's uh, uh, Tom Bevan over at Real Clear Politics, who does a program uh, on another radio station, and you're a frequent guest on that program every Sunday night. I enjoy uh, listening to it uh, generally on my way home, and so uh, uh, who knows? You may be on that program tonight. Later, we don't know. We don't know. Uh, I'm Eric not Cohen. on tonight, No, Bruce. you've got a night off. Well, <laughs> you've got you to save those vocal cords, Charles. Uh, let's go to Eric Cohen, uh -oh. who, who also uh, has some experience in doing talk radio. He was a talk radio host here uh, for many years in the afternoons on WIND, our flagship station. But he has moved to uh, the great state of uh, Michigan. And tell us what you're up to there, Eric. I'm a director of communications at the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. We're a uh, think tank that works to promote a free and virtuous society. We think that free markets are important, but that there's a set, uh, an understanding of virtue that is necessary for them to function properly and for society to function properly. I encourage everybody to look us up at Acton, A-C-T-O-N dot org. And yes, as Bruce mentioned, I was a former radio talk show host on uh, WIND uh, 560 The Answer. 
together on weekends with my good friend Joe Kaiser, a program called Source with sources with knowledge so if any of the affiliates that are listening right now are uh, sufficiently impressed with my ability to hold uh, hold fort here uh feel free to reach out uh be happy to look at doing a program again okay very good and have you been in michigan long enough for you to make uh, an intelligent guess about uh, what is likely to happen in the gubernatorial race there Uh, I, I've been here long enough to get the sense that Governor Whitmer is uh, not incredibly popular and is probably very beatable, but that the Republican Party in Michigan is consumed with a lot of the same rifts that exist in Republican parties around the country, where there's a disagreement amongst people involved in the party of what kind of a candidate should emerge to challenge uh, Governor Whitmer. I, I, I Again, I think the model put forth by somebody like a Glenn Youngkin, um, who wasn't hostile to Donald Trump's voters and wasn't hostile to Trump himself. And, and as that state senator noted, able to hold his hand under the table and in the dark uh, is the way to go about it. But I think the likelihood here in Michigan, where we did have one of those uh, election audits, there was a lot of stuff about how the election played out. The likelihood of a very Trumpy challenger being the person going up against Whitmer and, and probably guaranteeing her another term is greater than I would like it to be. Okay. And uh, let's go back to uh, the national level. And I want to go back to uh, these these stories about Pete Buttigieg. Uh, who has emerged as the principal spokesman for the administration on a variety of issues. I think he does a very good job as a presentation on the Sunday morning shows. And then there's the vice president of the United States, who is never seen anywhere. Uh, and uh, yet uh, the vice president generally is someone that you look to as being a, a candidate that will replace the president someday. Uh, in, in your view, and you, you are a hardcore progressive, you were not a Joe Biden fan initially, uh, and you were not even a Barack Obama fan initially, were you? Um, I, I like Barack Obama. Yeah, I went. I, I was a supporter <laughs> of Obama, and okay. especially in that first campaign, I, okay. I went to see him. And uh, well, inside your head now, if we were to go inside yeah. your head, think <laughs> think aloud and, and share it with the audience as to uh, what your thought is on the future of the party. Uh, and let me begin. I assume you would agree that Bernie Sanders is too old for another run. Yeah, I, I still receive many messages from the Sanders campaign fundraising, and uh, but but it does seem that Bernie's time has passed. But his endorsement's going to be important for for that next generation. Um, I don't see any members of the squad stepping out uh, in 2024 at this point. I don't think so. Um, so the Democratic establishment, I think, is would would love to see uh, Kamala. Um, uh, and Buttigieg as a ticket, probably, is going to be a dream team for the traditional Democratic establishment. Um, and it'd be a strong ticket. Uh, it'd be a strong ticket, youthful, if they look ahead. Uh, my fear is that... Uh, Why would that be a strong ticket? Well, I think you've got uh, Kamala Harris was a prosecutor. She can come in and make these law and order kind of arguments that... Has she been a strong vice president? Uh, well, she's been kind of disappeared. <laughs> so, but... But Joe Biden, as some people said, was in a bunker during the campaign, and and he won. So, so we'll see uh, what happens there. But uh, but I think Kamala, uh, she speaks well. She's passionate. She's got a great American story. Uh, and Buttigieg, you know, small town mayor now running a, a major uh, uh, department, uh, a cabinet uh, position. So I, I think, I think that's a strong ticket. It's youthful. Uh, you know, coming out of a, a Joe Biden, seventy-nine-year-old 
presidency, post-pandemic. Anybody else? You don't see anybody else uh, jumping into that? <clears throat> Someone that's run before? Or? Uh, yeah, you might have Klobuchar back in there, uh, a very pragmatic uh, candidate, uh, centrist, if the Democrats want that. Mm-hmm. On, the, on the, the liberal side, the progressive side, I, I just don't... I don't see I don't see any any progressive candidates coming out to challenge the establishment in the way Bernie could. Yeah. Uh, Eric Cohn, what's your response to that list and, and analysis and handicapping of uh, of Mark? I am looking at the results of a Suffolk University USA Today poll from uh, last week that has Kamala Harris's approval rating at 28 percent as the vice president of the United States, who doesn't really have any official duties. Um, and, you know, yes, uh, you could say she's been disappeared. Uh, I think it points to something else that is something that uh, I feel I saw a long time ago, and I think a lot of other people did too. She is a lousy politician. She got herself elected to the Senate in California after getting elected to statewide office in California. Uh, big caveat there, it's California. Um, so taking that as some signal of her electability uh, would be foolish. And the way that her presidential campaign played out was a disaster. And I think she has no real sense of what she wants to be about. And I think you saw that in answers she gave where she said that she was for getting rid of private health insurance and backed on, backtracked on it immediately. Um, I think she is not good at this. I think there's an uncomfortability about her presentation, the way that there's this nervous laughter anytime she's in an uncomfortable situation that she gets asked a question that she doesn't want to answer. And I, I, actually, a perfect example of, of the inauthenticity of Kamala Harris is if you saw the video of her surprise birthday party where she comes through the door and she says surprise herself before anyone else does. And I've been told this um, uh, from uh, a pollster by the name of Kristen Stoltis Anderson uh, that when she went to D.C., everyone told her she hoped it would be the West Wing. Everyone said it would be House of Cards. The reality is it's Veep. Kamala Harris is Selena Meyer from Veep. And that, that scene could have been out of that TV show. I think the future of the Democratic Party looks a lot more like Pete Buttigieg. And I honestly don't think Kamala Harris, even as the sitting vice president, if Joe Biden didn't run and she got into that race, I don't see any reason to think she'd do better the second time than she did the first time. Uh, let's go to Charles. Charles, what's your assessment? I think uh, the key word that Eric <clears throat> said there was inauthentic. <clears throat> I think the public knows that. I think the other thing he said that was absolutely right is she's just not very good at this. And it's striking that uh, she comes from a one-party state. That's always a big problem, actually, when you go to the national level, because you've never dealt with, um, you, you haven't dealt with the opposition party at a, at a level of getting legislation through. But you also haven't dealt with a constituency, a voter constituency, that looks a lot like America, which is a 50-50 country. So she's just not very good at this and in fact i gather that in the latest polls they aren't going to give numbers they're going to list the actual people who still support her uh, <laughs> but how does the one. how does the party uh, how does Bru- the party... might be a yeah. good candidate but it's hard to say when you're uh, i mean you know run uh, i mean who knows who who was the last person who ran the department of transportation i mean it's not exactly the Ray uh, a lifting spot to the top 
But here's my po- here's my point. H- how does the party in a in a, yeah. in a in a political way? How do they dump an mm-hmm. African American sitting vice president of the United States? Wouldn't that create a hole in the party that uh, would be ir- irreparable? Certainly in 2024, it might take a couple of cycles to deal with that. Uh, I want to g- go ahead. Uh, yeah. Well, the, yes, ahead. that's a big problem. <clears throat> Huge. No, it, it you know. Uh, there seems to be some kind of like um, Hillary kind of echoes here. It, it feels a lot like you're setting up 2024 to be Hillary part two. Um, inauthentic, we're hearing we're hearing that. Um, you've got a competent person, but they don't campaign well. They feel inauthentic. Uh, there was the Hillary problems, and, and I don't know if Nobody that's... said she was competent. <laughs> well, I did. Yeah, I certainly didn't say she was competent. Yeah. No, we have one of our so, guests that said Yeah, that. that's, that's me. But uh, so... <laughs> But, but I, uh, <laughs> we ahead. found the person, Charles. That's right. Oh, okay. okay. We got to pause. We'll let you finish your point when we come back. One eight hundred seven two three eighty twenty nine. We got time for some callers. If you want to join the conversation, I'm Bruce Dumont from coast to coast and border to border and around the world at beyondthebeltway.com. Back shortly. song again for the hundredth time today here's that song again it's gonna be stuck in your head all day here's that song again it will make you cray cray you love your kids enough to watch that tv show a bajillion times love them enough to make sure they're in the right car seat for their age and size show them you love them keep them safe visit nhtsa.gov slash the right seat brought to you by the national highway traffic safety administration and the ad council at social security we are always thinking of ways to save you time and make things easier that's why we created my social security a my social security account allows you to access your earnings history and benefits information request a replacement social security card get a proof of income letter estimate and apply for benefits and more save time go online open a my social security account at ssa.gov slash my account social security securing today and tomorrow produced at u.s taxpayer expense this is the story of a very special woman in a matter of seconds she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur her knowledge was limitless and still is she could also make monsters disappear especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. 
I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. <clears throat> Bruce Dumont back. Uh, nice to have you with us. And uh, I want to go back uh, with the uh, just with a segment uh, to go. Uh, I want to get reaction from uh, from Charles Lipson on uh, an issue that we discussed at the beginning of the program, and that is uh, the way that the government has handled the distribution of knowledge from official uh, sources as it relates to the COVID problem. And you can start with the current issue. I don't think. Or work your way backward. I don't think that the uh, public feels like they're being well served by the government. They want a clear, coherent answer. They they will accept the fact that we don't know things. What they don't want to hear is we know ex- <clears throat> we know what's happening this week. It's A. And then next week it's not A. And then the week after that it's A again. Isn't that science isn't that science hearing. though? Isn't, I also think. Isn't that science, I also Charles? think, Bruce. Go ahead. Isn't that science, though? You may, in, in the world of science, you may know something one week that the following week isn't true, and the third week may be slightly different. I mean, isn't that the basic element uh, or of science? You don't. You don't know absolutely if it's if it's an evolving issue like a uh, like a virus. That's a great point. I think that's really true. But I think that there have been two problems coming out of the administration on this. One is that they've been overly confident about things that they shouldn't be. And the other is that the public health officials have been making political decisions or uh, talking in political ways. Mm -hmm. In the end, there are deep trade-offs to be made between... uh, education, working, public health safety, those can only be made at the political level because an expert in education is not an expert in public health and neither is an expert on getting the economy back running. So you have to make political decisions. That's not up to Fauci, but that's not up to the head of the Fed or the head of Treasury or uh, anyone else. Ultimately, it goes to the president, and I think that uh, people have been ill-served, and they no longer trust. But, and we know that Fauci once deliberately lied to us about masks because he wanted to make sure that the mask went to public health professionals. Mm-hmm. So he told us something he didn't believe, which was that masks didn't help at a time when he thought mm-hmm. they did. And people don't forgive that. I want to get Eric's response. Is there a way for Fauci, in your opinion, to recover credibility? Does he need to recover credibility? And how should he do it? Eric. Uh, No, there's not a way for him to recover credibility. The best thing that he could do for both himself, his reputation, and if uh, he has an interest in uh, COVID policy in the long run being credible, would be to resign. 
and to get somebody else in there as a new messenger and give people an opportunity to trust that person. The, the sin that Fauci com committed in the beginning of all of this is a very much a symptom of elite panic, which is people in elite positions like Dr. Fauci is in believe that the common people can't handle the truth. So they're going to tell them what they think they need to hear rather than the truth. And as somebody who has been professionally engaged in communications for quite a while now, the first rule of it is don't lie to people because once people find out that you've lied to them, they aren't going to trust you again. And the fact that he has been allowed to remain in this position when it is so abundantly clear that he does not hold credibility with a significant part of the American people is political malpractice, which goes back to Charles's point. He's absolutely correct about this. This is a failure of political leadership. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention has one writ, right? It is to control and prevent diseases. Well, you can do that at the expense of every other consideration. And the CDC would do that if they had full power. The reason we have politicians elected is to balance the trade-offs that exist in public life. To say that, yes, if we went you know, Was full it? bore with the Chinese uh, policy of bolting people in their homes, perhaps we could get this more under control. I still even doubt that that's actually true. Eric, but we have Eric. to balance those concerns with other concerns. And that's why a political leadership is what has failed us here. A quick question. D doesn't that political leadership and the failure of political leadership include Donald Trump? I mean, Donald, Donald Trump 100%. is the one... He gave him the microphone, Absolutely. he gave him the podium, and then he basically backed away because he saw his poll, uh, you know, Fauci's poll numbers rising. And he, he was afraid, he was afraid what each of you have said you want uh, Joe Biden to do. Right? I, yes, it's a fail. it was a failure of Donald Trump's leadership as well. And the irony of that situation is... Trump could have fired Fauci at almost zero cost, especially much later on. So yes. maybe like five or six months into the pandemic, when trust in Fauci was really had revealed to be uh, plummeting in part because of what people had been told at the beginning of the pandemic. He wouldn't have lost any Republican support for it. And there were no Democrats that were coming over to him anyway. So it really wouldn't have cost him anything. But yes, it, it was a failure of Republican leadership in the previous administration. It's been a failure of Democrat leadership. It is a failure of political, po political leadership writ large because political leaders today do not do what they're supposed to do, which is look at the institution that they are in and ask the themselves the question, given my role here, what should I do? People don't do that anymore. What they do is they take these institutions, they use them as platforms to promote themselves and their individual brands at really the expense of good public policy and the well-being of the entire country, I think. Last word to you, Charles. 30 seconds. A uh, strong letter to follow, eh, Eric? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that Eric is, has nailed a number of, of these issues. I, I will say this. I think that, uh, echoing your point, Bruce, I think there's a lot we still don't know mm -hmm. on the public health angle. I don't think we know how to handle the latest outbreaks uh, and, and these breakthrough infections. Uh, until we get better uh, scientific answers, I think we're in this for a long time to come. And I think that the uh, responsibility ultimately belongs at the foot of Xi Jinping. All right. Well, that's, that, that takes us to the possibility of war someday. And uh, we'll, on that note of uh, holiday spirit, 
say that. <laughs> oh, my. Next week. <laughs> On that crushing morosity. Yes. <laughs> Again, our thanks to Eric Cohn, Charles Lipson, Mark Casello, and earlier James Martyr. Our thanks also to Frankie Rodriguez for the production of this program. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago and Elk Grove Village. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug she masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.